for joining us for Be Our Geek, where everyone is a geek about something and where we cover your pop culture landscape through our geek lens. I am Miss Shannon, here with my regular co-host and podcast life mate, Mr. Jayton Satia, Executive Director of the Twin Cities Film Fest. Hello, Jayton. How are you hey, doing hey. over there at the Film Fest offices? It's getting really busy. Yes. I haven't seen you in like a couple of weeks, and it seems like it's been longer than that. It's right. just getting nuts with all the submissions coming in, and we're planning an in-person festival in October again. So it's getting back on the horse, but we haven't been on the horse for about a couple of years. So it's getting exciting, though. I think that's happening with a lot of organizations that we work with, including the Twin Cities Film Fest, is that I'm calling it an accordion effect, is that a lot of the things that we had got pushed and so now we're incredibly compressed and busy. And then it's also extending out the other side because there's activities that would have been happening anyway that we'd be working on about this time of the year. So uh, I am glad that your head has not exploded. Um, I just want to bring everybody up to speed before we bring our guest geek on today. I'm very excited to speak with him. But, uh, Jayton, uh, I know you've been busy, and I've been busy too, but we haven't checked in with each other for our uh, rousing game of Pass the Password, where we uh, – and I'll remind everybody what we do with Pass the Password. Jayton and I both realized that although we are broad-spectrum geeks, one of the places that we had kind of – a blind spot was was content that was like digital and and any of the the TV series that were out there because we're both movie nerds so if it's in a movie theater we would see it right there and we could tell you everything about it we could talk about it for hours um, so we started this uh, content or this 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 activity called Pass the Password, because we can't watch everything, and since we're not going to watch everything, there's no point in us getting every streaming service out there. So, I already asked you part of this, so here's the two shows that I think we should be watching. So, um, there's Sweet Tooth, which is on Netflix, and then there's Loki, which is currently running on Disney+. Plus. Now, I already asked you, I'm, I'm so glad that you responded to this already, because I already asked you earlier today if you were watching Loki yet, and you said... Not yet. Right. So I call dibs. I'm doing Loki because I've oh. already watched it. Right. Yes. There we go. I've already watched the uh, the first two episodes of Loki, so I'm uh, well ahead of you and almost caught up. You haven't watched any either of it, and have you watched Sweet Tooth yet? No, but I've actually heard uh, from a different individual who I trust in their taste in streaming. Um, that Sweet Tooth is actually a really great show. Right. So I'm actually gonna. I'm actually excited about that. Kind of like yeah. the concept of it. So you know what? You can take Loki. I'll Thank you. Get to it anyway, so Thank you. <laughs> and I, I also have heard really good things about Sweet Tooth, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. And here's why I would rather watch Loki: is Sweet Tooth, uh, which we know is, uh, I think, uh, created and directed by Susan Downey, of, uh, a partner from Robert Downey Jr. I feel like. Um, from what I've heard about Sweet Tooth already, that it's also very emotional, like it has all the feels in it. I am not in the mood for the feels right now. And just, I'll be honest with you, I don't want the feels. I don't want something that has those ups and downs and eventually it makes me cry in a TV series. So I, well, I was going to give you that one anyway. Because I also think your wife will enjoy it. I think she'll She's watch this one. varied taste. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I'm going to have to test it for her, watch the first episode <laughs> and let her know. Um, we've been watching Lois and Superman. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a family thing, um, and then I am starting. I was a couple of seasons behind on Hands 
Handmaid's Tale, so I'm actually Ooh. doing season three. Episode. I presume that your wife is not watching Handmaid's Tale. She is not. Okay, I yeah, I know her pretty well, and I would uh, presume she'd tap out of that. So good. So we will both um, report back on that, and who knows? Maybe our guest geek this week is a fan of either of their shows and let us know what they think. So I'm very excited, Jayton. So every once in a while, something amazing pops into our Be Our Geek inbox, and this was one of their cases because uh, with us today. And I'm about to fangirl a, a little bit about him. Is so he's talking about his brand new project, Gray, a supernatural revenge thriller that's going to be taking the world by storm. Uh, is with us today, Arvind Ethan David. Arvind, thank you so much for joining us here on BR Geek. How are you today? I am great. Thank you for having me, Miss Sharon. Thank you for having me, I got to say, it's been very difficult to keep quiet for the last 90 seconds. <laughs> Have you watched either Loki or Sweet Tooth, Arvin? I have watched the first two of Loki. Okay. And I have I think, the first three of Sweet Tooth. Oh, okay, okay. Now, since you've watched both, Arvin, if you were given the choice and you could only finish out one right now, which one would you finish first, Arvin? Oh, that's really challenging. Yes. That's a tough choice to have to make. Well, I will say I'm watching Sweet Tooth with my wife, mm-hmm. and uh, she's loving it as well, so I don't think I'd have the option to drop it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think it would be mad on the score if I just give up the stopping. Yes. Uh, uh, and I also know um, uh, Jim Mickle, the creator, um, the, the writer-director, so I feel that would probably have to win out. Gotcha. That's having a great time with Loki as well. And it's so interesting with Loki because it's obviously the third series in the new, Mar- in the you know the new iteration right. of the Marvel Television universe, and it's interesting to see how different the three shows are, how different Wonder Vision, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Loki are. Agreed. And they've taken, you know, very different tones, very different approaches. Uh, you know, Wonder Vision was so extraordinarily bold and right. unusual. With the soldier, talking about the soldier was actually pretty conventional. Correct. Um, and Loki sort of a third thing. It's right. Sort of a third thing altogether. And uh, so that's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting to watch that. But I mean, Loki, you just watch for Tom Hiddleston and yes. Owen Wilson. Agreed. Off each other, and they're just they're just amazing. And of course, I had forgotten. I was reminded last night. Here's a piece of geekery. Yes. Uh, Hiddleston and Wilson have worked together before. Can either of you remember where? I am at a loss, Arvind. I think you got geeks us both. Which what have they been in? Well, if you go back almost twelve, thirteen years, they they acted together in Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. Oh wow! Uh, uh, Wilson plays the time traveling writer Gill, and Tom Hiddleston plays F. Scott Fitzgerald. I will have to do a rewatch of that. Yes, thank you for sharing that, Arvind. And I um. We just celebrated here in the in the U.S. We celebrated Juneteenth, and so I did a rewatch uh, of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, just because I wanted something that I thought did have that interplay and talk about you know BIPOC relationships with all things here. And I I really 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 enjoyed the rewatch of it and watching that interplay and how they did use it, even though it is a more traditional 
buddy cop action type series that they still really did use Falcon's character and Sam's character to be able to go, well, here's why it's different. And so I really enjoyed that part of it and as, as, a, as a BIPOC American going, all right, that's important I love, to me. I love that they went there. Yes. Um, I, I, I felt they didn't go there enough. Fair enough. I, you know, I felt it was, there were a couple of great scenes. There was the great discovery of the first black superhero who had, right. again, a couple of great scenes. But I thought they never really lent into it. it the show was not about that. It was like that was a, a, a layer and a good layer right. to a show that ultimately was a pretty conventional, bloody beat em up show. Correct. And when there was that moment in Avengers Endgame when Cap hands the shield to uh, the Falcon, mm -hmm. you go, oh my God, they're going to do a Black Captain America. That is what I've been waiting for. Right. And, and I just felt it didn't fully do it. I felt it did it right at the end. And, I, and maybe the second season will have it better. Right. Uh, I really hope so. Uh, but yeah, to me it was, it was like, you know, we used to have a grading system at school where we got pluses for effort, but <laughs> yeah. we grade how good it was. So this was like a B triple plus. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think I put it in that same thing. I, I, I think that they are doing a serviceable job in starting dialogues in a variety of different ca categories. So if we go back to WandaVision, when we're talking about grief and mental health and those things, I think that they did a serviceable job of exploring that but still making it a comic book superhero-y thing. And so I think I would put Falcon and Winter Soldier in the same category as far as how, how much they went there. They went there yep. enough to go, oh, wait, he would have other things to think about. And I do appreciate the fact, even when Bucky comes around near the end, spoilers, everybody out there, when Bucky goes, hey, Steve and I, it never occurred to us that it'd be different because you're black. At least they said that. I agree. Um, and I agree. that part I thought was a good start because there's lots of people who probably never would have even thought about those layers of things. And we've talked about that, you know, Jayton and I, you know, just on this show before as two geeks of color, just that there's just intersectional, you know, community trauma or things that you're looking for as a character or things that you imagined when you were young that – you just got used to like our we uh, a conversation Arvin that um Dayton and I had before is when we were talking about Black Panther and how so many people were like oh but there weren't enough uh white characters cuz and they just weren't used to imagining themselves as those characters and Jayton and I are like we've been doing that our whole lives is going here's how it would be if it was us <laughs> and and just going it still makes it a story that's still relatable even though the characters might be brown or black or if we look at our lgbtqia plus community going you can still see yourself in these characters even though they don't physically represent you as much as you're accustomed to completely and i think that's that's a really good way of putting it i always joke at comic-con mm -hmm. back when you know, comic-con was the thing you went to right and and dressed up for. Uh, I would be there, you know, with white friends, and they would be like, I remember they got a panel, and they asked, like, you know, if you were going to cosplay this Comic Con, who would you cosplay as? And I said, everyone, you know, I was, I was with, I think I was with the cast of my show, uh, Gently, that year, and, uh, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, I would be this, I would, I would be. I would be Sherlock Holmes. I would be Superman. I was like, yeah, all you have to do, you're a skinny white guy. You just put on a hat. <laughs> right. You put on a face and 
you're Superman, you're done, right? Yeah. For me, there's a conversation. Am I brown Superman? Am I brown Sherlock Holmes? Right. Uh, and and that is, and that shouldn't be. That right. shouldn't be, right? Or, 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 or and it shouldn't be for anybody, as you say. There's no reason that, the, the, the now, obviously, characters, even particularly superheroes, they're not race agnostic. They're not, they, we shouldn't see them through colorblind eyes. Right. But the essence, but once the, for a lot of them, once the mask is on, and that's like Spider-Man has got this more right than I think anyone else has, right? Right. Spider-Man is Spider-Man. Yes. Whether he's Peter Parker, whether he's Miles Morales. Right. He is Spider-Man. The core essence of that character's uh, sort of tormented sense of responsibility is rooted in is, is in different personal truths, but is the same sort of superpower and, 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 and vibe. Right. And so you can look at you know you can uh, you can look at Spider-Man. Spider-Man's always been my guy long yeah. before there was Miles Morales. Well, Spider-Man, Spider-Man's a teenager. Right. right? So yeah. everybody can relate to being a, the, the teenager and having angst and anxiety, right. yet also aspirations. And so I think beyond just who the character is, it could be I mean the female. Spider-Man. It doesn't yeah. really matter. I think mm-hmm. what audiences connect with is the fact that they're they were young yep. once, and they had the same pains that this kid is going through. Oh, by the way, he's also a superhero. Right. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, it's an interesting thing. So, so I'm, I'm obviously I'm an immigrant of color. My family's from India. Um, my wife is black. Our daughter is sort of triracial. Right. About it all, and she just turned three, so we're like, you know, giving her gifts, and she's just starting to watch TV for the first time. And I'm so glad, you know, she watched Frozen and Moana kind of back to back over two weeks. Moana's her girl, no question. Wow, mm-hmm. no interest in this skinny white blonde. <laughs> Like, you know, she literally she, she goes to the ocean and she stands there and she says, Daddy, one day I will go down to the water. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. And I think that that's, you know, when we are talking about all of these projects as geeks of color, like when I expose my son to different things because he's a brown kid in America, it's trying to give him as many options as possible. Um, and going all of these things, because even if I, you know, and I've made this jokes whenever we go to um, cons, where if they wonder what I'm, you know, cosplaying, I'm like, which one black character is out right now? And so, because it's usually like, okay, maybe I'm going, we can go back old school Star Trek, and I'm Uhura, and then we can, like, flash forward a little bit, and I'm Guinan, and then maybe we pop. I'm like, there's usually only one. So yeah. until we got Black Panther, where I'm like, well, maybe I'm just dressed as Adora Milaje, or maybe we're this, and, and just to try and model it well for my non my friends who aren't of color <laughs> I usually like I had I came up with a costume I said I'm Wakandan royalty because I said maybe you should just stop thinking like people are costumes and let's just get in the world the world is you know it, do I want to be part of this world or not like whenever we we used to talk about Game of Thrones because I tapped out of Game of Thrones really quick is even though I I definitely want dragons. I want dragons. I would love to have a, my own set of dragons, but I do not want to go to Westeros. I'm not interested in being a part of that world. But all these other worlds, I'm like, even if there were there's adversary or something that happens or some trials that we have to go through because that's what makes people heroes is going through trials, there still is a kernel of something that makes me want to escape to that. And I'm just fascinated with the worlds that you and the rest of our creators create for me to visit. So thank you for continuing to do that. 
Thank you. Uh, we'll try. I mean, the thing is, you're right, because, again, as a, if you're a person of color and you're asked to go into a world, you have to ask, would I be allowed in that world? Right. You mm-hmm. know? So, like, we all play this game, like, if you could live at any other point in history, when would you live? I'm like, well, in most points of history, I was wouldn't be allowed into most of the rooms I want to go into. Agreed. Um, and... You know, it's like, who, who do you have at your dinner party? Well, I'd love to get a dinner party with Oscar Wilde, and, but there were a lot of people who looked like me in London in 1892, you know. Right. It was tough. It would have been conceivable, just, just conceivable. <laughs> right. I, would have to be, I would have had to be royalty, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a very wealthy trainer of some sort. Um, and so, and you're right about restaurants. Well, I, like, I, I enjoyed the show until the last season. Mm-hmm. Because the last season, to me, betrayed not only the show, but it certainly betrayed all the characters of color. Right. And, and, and that was a great disappointment um, to so many people. And it's really hard when you're dealing with fantasy because you're plugged into a tradition that, I mean, fantasy particularly, science fiction has been better. Right. But in fantasy particularly, you're in a tradition that's pretty white and that is not only pretty white, but that's pretty in its base assumptions, racist. Because the basis of those fantasy is that every fantastical race are all the same. Right. Right? So elves are all the same, and orcs are all the same, and trolls are all the same, and giants are all the same. Like, that's been true since Lord of the Rings. It's true in Game of Thrones. And that assumption that every member of a race is the same is the basis of racism. Agreed. Agreed. Then you're in this world where you have, okay, okay, I'm creating a fantasy thing. I'm working on on another show based on these wonderful books by my friend Dave Rudden called Knights of the Borough Dark. Mm -hmm. And we've set out very consciously in our adaptation to blow that apart. And he did it as well. And to say, look, oh no, here's a race that you think is all the same and you think is all evil, but actually, no, they're just folks. Right. And and some of them are evil and some of them are good and some of them you can get on with and some of them are assholes. Right. that's, that's what races are like. That's what people are like. Right. We have not all one thing, however convenient it would be for either a storyteller or a politician to believe we're all one thing. And I am just excited to uh, look forward to that project as well because one of the things that we've talked about again on previous episodes uh, is that we just want enough representation that we can be other than the stereotype or the archetype. Like, there's not enough representation that characters of color get to just be. Like, you either have to be the villain or you have to be the hero. Maybe I'm just, you know, second chair. I'm this. Like, there's there's just not enough spots at the table yet. So we're like, just put more spots. Just build yeah, more, well, build bigger tables. Something else that we're accustomed to see is when you put it out there, when, when there is a story that is fully Asian or fully Indian or fully African American or you name it, any other culture except white, People embrace it. People yep. love storytelling. People love good stories. That's where they connect. Um, so it shouldn't be a surprise when a particular film, like Minari, for example, gets all the accolades that it gets. It's a good immigration story that every single person can relate to right. in one capacity or another. So I think there aren't enough seats at the table, but that's not because there isn't money to be made. It's just the opportunities are not there. And once that floodgates open, I mean, if it's dollars and cents in Hollywood, trust me, dollars will come. You just have to let it flow. Right. 100%. It's always about the confidence Mm -hmm. with which you do it. I mean, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, which I love, and I 
Fred Vidal, who they wrote it, is is a good film, but it's not a perfect film. Right. Like, you know, it's not like one of the best romantic comedies ever made. But, but you're telling me Transformers is a perfect film and we've made 19 of those? <laughs> Fair but because everybody involved committed to it with confidence, you know, up, up to and including the studio, and because it, it was a good story, and because it tapped into this huge latent desire for, to see ourselves on screen, um, it was a giant success. And you know, and you know, Black Panther was very nearly a perfect film, but again, had the confidence. Marvel wasn't like. Oh, okay. We're a little bit unsure how this right. is going to do for black characters. They just went for it. Yes, you know, in, in the heights, it's just done that again. Um, yeah, so I, but I'm, I, I, I frustratingly can't talk about it, but I can say I am working on a on a TV show that is a hundred percent. I think there are three white characters in it um, out of out of like thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a major show for a major uh, studio platform, and we start shooting in about four months. So we'll preemptively um, ask you to come back on when that's ready, because we want. I'm sure we'll be talking. Yeah, we, I'm sure we'll be interested in that one. So go on, Arvind. Sorry, we're just putting that uh, in there right now. <laughs> uh, I'll just say when when we were in the writers' room, uh, and you know there were these conversations and on that show about how much to talk about race. Mm-hmm. There we were like, well. My rule ended up being, I was like, so the only time we're going to talk about race is when a white character <laughs> leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, I want to talk about them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because now, so we're all together, all the like, it's a bunch of fun. And of course, people of color do talk about race amongst themselves. Of right. course, we do. But I was like, in this show, maybe we don't need to all the time. This is a show that like has a lot of action. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's we're in our world. Like maybe we don't have to constantly like. It could just be us. Right. Just be us. about the fact that there's a freaking monster trying to kill us. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I love it. Now, Arvin, this is the part that I wanted to fangirl about because if we look through your Wikipedia page, you've produced and, and written and, and created some of our favorite. Uh, series out there, but a series that I did watch, and I'm not sure if Jayton did, is I was a giant fan of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I loved that and was so disappointed that it was not renewed. <laughs> I was struck by that. <laughs> well, you and me both, and your, your listeners will not know this, but you can see that I am wearing a Dirk Gently t-shirt. Love it, so, love it. So I, I, you know, I, this is how I honor and mourn the memory of, of that show. <laughs> <laughs> I often, I find myself quite subconsciously putting it on for interviews. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, remember this one? You should have talked to me about this one. But I, you know, especially as someone who had read the books and then I've seen the different iterations of Douglas Addison Adams' work, and, you know, because we've been making them since before we could make good series because we just did not have the technology and that's not what we made. You know, I'm like an old school Doctor Who fan. So I know from back when they were all theatrical and they didn't look right and still don't care. Uh, but everything about Dirk Gently, which I think is definitely one of his more complex things. I was like, when I saw you, the trailer that you dropped at San Diego Comic-Con, I was like, I'm all in. I'm immediately all in. It, these, they clearly figured this out. They know how to create this. I see these characters the right way. So when you're taking a, wor- a work like Dirk Gently or, or 
um, and we'll we'll get to you know we talked about Oscar Wilde, which brings us to what you did with Gray. When you're taking a work that has that history and that weight, how do you go? Here's how we're going to envision it now, and how do you make those decisions on what you can change and update, and what you need to stay true to or maintain certain integrity? That's got to be a difficult balance. It's it's the key question to ask, and even before it, the question is, should I? Mm-hmm. Am I the person to do this? Um, should it be adapted at all? In this world, if it's sold 10 copies, someone will adapt it. But should I be the person to do it? Right. Do, I have the, do I have the right, uh, particularly with the thing you love, mm-hmm. or that anyone loves? If people love it, then you really have to come to it and ask yourself, should I touch it? Do, do I have the, um, the authority, the the confidence to do it. Mm-hmm. In the case of both Dirk Gently, both Douglas Adams and Oscar Wilde, um, I could say without any real hesitation that I love this as much as anyone on this planet. Right. That I had, I, you know, I came across Douglas Adams at 12 or 13, as many people did. It changed my life as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been adapting it since I was a teenager. <laughs> I, you know, I did that uh, gently as my high school play when I was 16. Really? And so, and then um, I did it again at college. Douglas Adams came to see it. He liked it. We became friends. It became the official uh, version. It, you know, it got published. It's been performed all around the world for 30 years. And... Uh, and I ended up working for him and starting a company with his business partners. And so, and I, you know, I'm friends with the family and with the estate. So I did feel that I had, in that case, the kind of moral authority to be the guy to do it. And I had the family's blessing Wonderful. to do it. Mm-hmm. And his blessing. You mm-hmm. know, he, he died in 2001, but he, you know, he was on record and it said to me that my adaptation made him think about how to one day make it into a, into a TV show or a mm-hmm. film of its own. So I guess I went into it with a certain confidence. But I think... With anything good, like if I'm adapting something bad, if someone hands you like a novel that doesn't really work, <laughs> sure, they can do what you want. Right? But when it's, when it's loved, um, the, the way I think about it is you have to be true. And Oscar Wilde was very good about this. Oscar Wilde said, they are, you know, they, they, there is truth and there is beauty, and figure out which ones matter, matter to you. Right. And what I think he meant by that is, you know, they are facts, they are the details. They are the, the observable, demonstrable things. And then there is the essence. And art is about the essence. And what we always try and do with anything that I am working on is be very true to the essence of the characters and of the authorial intent and preoccupations. So authors who are, you know, gently is about interconnectivity. That is its big idea. Right. The big idea of Dirt Gently is the idea that everything is connected. And the character that Douglas created was this misfit, this sort of beautiful, cocky, but completely insecure man who has a gift for seeing connections, right. but is tortured because he cannot make meaningful connections in his life. That's the essence of who Dirt Gently is. And that's what we took into the show. And that's sort of the key thing and once we had him we felt okay we're not going to try and adapt Douglas's books because they're done they're amazing and they exist right. we're going to try and write sequels and so each season of Dirk Gently we saw as a new book right. a new 
a, a new adventure, a new case. And that's what we got to do for two glorious years in the TV show and for three years in the comics. Uh, we are still trying to find ways. We're working on an animated series right now um, that will be more sequels and new cases. And so, you know, look, I've been working. I've, I've been in the Adams verse, as I say, my mm-hmm. entire life. Uh, I'm also working on something uh, with his other book, uh, his other book series at the moment, which oh, I cannot yeah. talk about other than to say I'm working on something on Douglas Adams' book series that is not Dirk Gently, and uh, we'll be making some announcements about that in the next six months. Arvin, Ethan, David, you are my new favorite tease, just so you know that. I am truly enjoying <laughs> all of the teases, and you now have to be Jayton and I's friend because we want to know about all the things you're working on. You uh, have to come to the festival. Yes, you have to come to the festival. You can come to our oh, festival here. Person told festival? Are you kidding me? I, I, I can sort of remember what those are like. <laughs> you would it's love it. We'll you send you an invite. Definitely. And so we've talked about Oscar Wilde, and if people are wondering or have not made the connection, if you are not dirt gently out there, uh, the connection is because we want to talk about uh, Arvin Ethan David's current project, Gray. And Gray. Which he can talk about, right? I mean, you can talk about this. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Everything's been a tease so far. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just going to tell us there's a thing, and one day they'll talk about this thing? No. <laughs> this one, you know, as long as, you know, we, we know that you – are doing this again in a variety of different ways. So from what I understand, there's going to be not only the graphic novel that everybody can pick up, and we got to see the advanced copy of this, and thank you very much for sharing that. It is beautiful. Um, but also, there's going to be, is it a radio play that you're creating, Arvind? I, I love you for saying radio play. <laughs> the theater, theater of the air. <laughs> We come from a radio background. We're both well, we're both former and, pre- and current radio DJs, so we like radio plays. They sound good. The radio play or podcast or audio drama, whatever you want to call it. It's yeah, it's a play. It's a play with words on the air. <laughs> perfect, absolutely perfect. And you have some amazing voice actors that are going to be involved with that. So Tony, like awards, awards, awards for all of the cast that are going to be out there. I know you're still working on some of the uh, finals of that. But what can, what are you willing? I want you to do it. What are you willing to tell everybody about Gray and <laughs> this reimagined uh, story of uh, based on Oscar Wilde? So Gray is a is a contemporary reimagining of Oscar Wilde's only novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, the original, of course, is, is this famous story of the most beautiful and debauched and sent an evil man of his time mm-hmm. who is sort of somehow magically made immortal when a portrait of him is painted. And famously, the thing that everybody knows is he stayed young and beautiful whilst in his attic the the portrait got old and, and twisted and evil. Right. Uh, everybody knows that, so that, that, that that much of the story. The novel is sort of a contemporary of Dracula and Frankenstein and um, Jekyll and Hyde. Right. It's that sort of era of, of gothic uh, novel. In fact, fun side fact, Bram Stoker and Wilde were they, weren't, they weren't friends exactly because they were rivals. They both proposed to the same woman and um, she married Bram. She did not marry uh, Oscar, and uh, but they certainly knew each other. And then uh, also true that Dorian Gray and uh, the first chapter of Dracula, called A Letter uh, to Dracula, uh, were both published in the same year. Oh, um, and, and they suddenly would have you know 
read each other and kept up with each other. Anyway, so it's this beautiful gothic horror novel. That's like their version of dueling back then. Instead of actually dueling, they're like, I will write my work first and compete with you. That's fascinating. I will be more famous. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like if if Neil Gaiman and Stephen King went for the same woman. Exactly. Anyway, so what I've done with it is to tell a new version. And in my version, which is contemporary, Gray, Dorian Gray, is a woman. And and she is exists in contemporary New York and she is debauched to the mm-hmm. central and and living her sort of Instagram best life. But then we realize that she's she's been living this best life for about forty years. Right. And she something happened forty years ago to make her immortal and to keep her young and beautiful. And then we realize and we realized through the eyes of a cop, uh, Hank, um, Hank Wooten, um, a black NYPD officer who was assigned to uh, the, her case, is that she's plotting something pretty terrible. Right. That she's not just, you know, having a good time. She's uh, going after men. And what starts with a kind of promising young woman level of men in clubs starts to escalate and she kidnaps eight of the most powerful men in America and she announces that she's going to do something pretty bad to them because she says they have all committed crimes against women and she's here to set the balance right. And so it turns into this sort of Me Too thriller that I think, I hope, uh, you guys have read it, so you'll have mm-hmm. to try it, uh, but I hope is sort of true to what Wilde was doing, which was to, underneath a very glossy, fun surface, debate some of the big issues of, of his time and now of our time, of sexual power, of policing, of um, retribution and of consequences, of cancel culture, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, but it's doing all of that. Right. Well, so, I, you know, from, from, from reading through the, the, the first book, it really does open a lot of conversations, I think, about the fact that this character that is in control and in power at the time of the book um, is a woman, I think, really opens up. Because we are familiar with that vigilante, you know, agent of death male character. Um, but then really I thought you did a fantastic job of going, well, what would it be like if there was this female motivation? And do you feel more uh, uh, more for her? Does she feel more justified or is it still, no, you still keep, this isn't the way you're supposed to solve it. And that's what I enjoyed thinking about as I'm reading about your characters and what was going on. Thank you. That's very much what I was going for because it is, again, it's the big assumption of all superhero stories mm-hmm. that it's either fine or it's not. Right. And, you know, and in basically, you take any, any comic, you're either in a world where people are like, oh, cool, Spider-Man does stuff, fine. Superman does stuff, fine. Mm-hmm. Or you're like, no, Batman does stuff and he's a vigilante, we must hunt him down and shoot him. Right. right? You're, always, and you're never in a world, which I think would be the truth in our world, where like you'd have people on both sides constantly right. of that and I wanted—I was curious to see what would happen if we made that dichotomy partly male-female, which which is which is which is what it is, 
and partly also about privilege and a little bit about race. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what we're playing with. And I liked the idea, again, in, in Oscar Wilde's time, and unfortunately also in our time, no one's really going to question a man who lives a debauched and excessive life. It's sort of, you know, that's a sort of men of power. That's what they do. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And we've started to question, you know, in the last three or four years, we've started to question the consequences of how they treat other people. Right. But, as well, but we still go, oh, as long as there's consent, then a man can do what he wants. Right. Right? But if it's a woman, then those questions are still very charged. Right. right? Exactly. The, the women who live their sexual lives out loud are still... Vilified. You know, still vilified. vilified. Yeah. And so that's really what I wanted, I wanted to play with that question as well. And, uh, and yeah, we're having fun with it. We're having fun with it in the graphic novel already, uh, which is finished. And is, the first volume comes out uh, next month, and the second volume is being drawn and published and will, will come out near the end of the year. And I'm deep now in the middle of reimagining it as our radio play. <laughs> Audio and drama, all of the things you said, Arvind. <laughs> uh, and as you said, we have the most wonderful casts, um, Lauren Patton, who is the lead of Jagged Little Pill, has been Tony nominated for it, is going to play Dorian Gray. Neil Brown Jr., who's one of the leads of Steel Team and was the lead in Dirk Gently, is going to play uh, her antagonist and uh, her antagonist lover, uh, the, the cop, uh, yeah. Hank Wooten. Um, and we are putting in a Richard Schiff, who's going to play his partner. And there's a bunch of wonderful people. There's also a new character who is not in the graphic novel, oh. but it's the narrator of our podcast, and I'm very excited. We have cast, um, I'm trying to figure out if I'm allowed to talk about who it is or not. We'll let you, <laughs> ju- we'll let you chime back in when you're actually going, you, you can, now everyone can listen to it. Here's what it is. So we'll, you'll have to call us back then because we don't want you to get yelled at by your PR team by letting out the wrong secrets. Right. Um, I will have to go and plug in. I have five percent left. Stay with me. Yeah, we can. Whatever you think is better. You can go ahead and plug in, and then we'll go ahead and let you. I know you got to finish getting the rest of your life in order, so we won't keep you on for too much longer. But we'll let you do that. What is the when is the production of the uh, the radio play? Is it currently? Uh, being, is it in pre-production or is it um, have you yeah. guys had a table read and all that fun stuff? Yeah, it's in, yeah, it's in, it's in prep. I, the, the big thing is I have to finish writing it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm about half, I'm about halfway through. Gotcha. And, um, the plan is to finish writing it in uh, in July and then to start recording in August um, with a plan for to come out in the fall. Oh, We're hoping that the, the 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 idea is that volume two off the book mm-hmm. and the radio play come out at the same time because oh, okay. otherwise it's sort of spoilers right if you like finish the book <laughs> then you, you sort of know the story of the radio play and you, yes you, but I mean we've all watched you know we've watched a number of things where we read the book and we still I don't know how the rest of my geek friends are out there but the Jayton and I at least go well we'll still watch it because we don't know if it's going to be oh, exactly yeah. the same what you're going to change those kind of things. But it does leave you open to all of those purist nerds out there that are like, this is not precisely like the graphic novels. How dare you do this with your own work, Arvind? How dare you? Which like, one do you prefer, Arvind? Do you prefer 
um, the writing process, or do you produce more, uh, prefer more of the producing process once it actually gets, you know, the, the love that it needs to move forward? It's very different types of joy. There, there is something, of course, you know, when you're writing, you're God, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're, nobody, no, there, there are no budget issues, there are no practical issues, there's nobody to tell you what to do. Uh, I mean, until they give you notes, but in the moment that you're creating on the page, you're God, and there is a real, there's the joy of pure creation. But I'm, I love collaborating. I love being in a room, or even just on a Zoom, which has been the case for the last 15 months, right. with people creating stuff together. And so I do love, uh, I do love the production stage. I love working with a director. I love actors. And that's really why we're doing, you know, selfishly, that's why we're doing the radio drama of Grey, because mm -hmm. I spent two years writing it alone in the room. And <laughs> I'm collaborating with my artists, my wonderful artist team, Eugenia uh, Kamaki, uh, our lead artist in Greece, uh, Diana Greenlay, uh, Green Hague, and um, Joanna Lapuente. But we've actually never been in a room together because Eugenia's in Greece, Joanna's mm -hmm. in Portugal, and Diana's in. Uh, Diana's in Canada, so it's only been it's only been slack. It's been two years of slack. Right. And so then the, the idea that I would get having finished the story, I really wanted to sort of dive deeper into it with collaborators, and so to bring on board my producing team at Prodigal and uh, our wonderful director Milena Govich, uh, who's a big TV director, who is one of my dearest friends and to say look let's collaborate together and sort of dive deeper into it uh, was was part of the joy was part of the joy of doing both and also there's such different mediums they're like I, 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 they're diametrically opposed mediums it's gotcha. in the title right <laughs> graphic novel <laughs> radio play <laughs> right and so it, it's been Honestly, it's been one of the most challenging adaptations of my life because okay. you can't, just like with a book, you go, okay, I'll, I'll take the dialogue that's there in the book already. If you're adapting it for TV, you go, all right, the characters are still going to stand in the rooms and talk to each other. Right. Well, now I've gone, oh, no, I can literally show you nothing. It all has to be through voice and sound effects. And the first time I wrote it, I was all about, how can I make it as visual as possible? Oh, right, right. <laughs> completely written myself into every corner imaginable and now I have to reinvent every sequence and every plot point because first time around I was like I must do this with a minimum of words and a maximum of pictures and now I have to do more pictures and just with words <laughs> Well, we are excited to uh, take part in both versions of Grey. And as we wrap up, I just really, as the creator of this work, why Grey and why Grey right now for you, Arvind? So, I don't have a lot of ideas. I, I say that entirely without any, that's not a modest statement. I have friends you know, I work with Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman a bunch. Neil Gaiman has like 17 new ideas every day. Right. Neil Gaiman will throw away ideas like to his friends and in short stories because he doesn't, he's not going to live long enough to write all the ideas he has. Gotcha. You know, uh, I'm not in that category. I'm someone who has like a good idea once every few months. I have a good idea. <laughs> okay. And so when I have a good idea, I tend to stick with them. You know, I did Doug Gentry as my high school play. I was still doing it 25 years later. Right. So, so, so 
Um, I have loved Oscar Wilde. You know, he's my he's my OG. He's like mm-hmm. he's the reason I do what I do. It's where it's where it started. And there's a tradition. Douglas Adams is in the Oscar Wilde tradition. And if you doubt that for a second, remember that in importance of um, being Ernest, the character Ernest Jack mm-hmm. is found in a handbag at Fenchurch Street Station. And remember that Arthur Dent's love interest in the Hitchhiker books is Fenchurch because she is conceived <laughs> at Fenchurch. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he was very conscious of the tradition he was working in, which is of comedy of ideas that Oscar Wilde sort of created. And so I've loved him my whole life. But the thing specifically, the why now of it, is Gray is about consequences. The, the big question Dorian Gray asked, that Oscar was asking in that book, was what happens to a man, in his case, a man, where you take away consequences right. from him? And the answer seemed to be that it corrupts totally. You take away consequences and you get a totally corrupt society. And we live at a moment in world history, but maybe most acutely in American history, where there is a real debate about consequences. And it's not quite as simple as right and left, although that is some of it, mm-hmm. but essentially you seem to have half the country that sort of goes, oh, consequences don't matter, we can just all live what we think is our best lives and forget about history and forget about context and forget about whether it's women or people of color or the economy or the disease or truth or facts. Right. The other half of the country going, no, consequences matter, facts matter, truth matters. And, and of course, in, and, and the way I just put it, it's easy for us to go, we know who is right. But actually, you take it too far, you take the pendulum too far, and then you get cancel culture, and right. you get you know, retribution rather than justice, and you get a whole bunch of issues on both sides of the political divide. And so I thought, oh, this is an interesting time to tell a story about consequences, to tell a story about a superhero whose power is she doesn't suffer consequences. And does that make her a villain or a hero? It depends what she does with that. And so that's why now. Well, we appreciate you sharing that with us, and we look forward to the next edition of it. We want to make sure that everybody can support you. So I know they can find you on Twitter. It's at... A-R-V-D, right? That's you on Twitter, Arvind? Yes, at R-V-D. R-V-D. And so if you are, uh, if you're one uh, looking to follow the graphic novel, that's at Sisters of Grey, G-R-A-Y, because I know everybody always asks me, is it A-Y or E-Y? I didn't know that that would be our great debate of 2021, but it is one of them. So Sisters of Grey, uh, what's another way for us to support you, Arvind? Please buy the book, uh, Sisters of Grey, or Amazon, or support your local bookshop, bookshop.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be great. Um, we, uh, Sisters of Grey, you can you can pre-order it, so please do that. Um, what else do I have happening? Uh, my Broadway show, Jagged Little Pill, is coming back. With live entertainment, is coming back, everybody. Yay! Uh, JaggedLittlePill.com, if you're a Broadway fan, a musical fan, an Alanis fan, or just a fan of good storytelling. Right. Here, reopen in October so that would be tremendous um, those would be two good ways um, oh I can do one more yes the gothic novel tradition um, we spent um, I love escape rooms yeah. uh, I don't know if you guys do but it's, it's another part of my geekery is I love escape rooms 
and I'm, I'm, I have two partners in the escape room business, uh, Hatch Escapes in LA, uh, and we had to shut down during COVID, and we used that time and a bunch of the team to make an escape room that we shipped to your house, and it's called Mother of Frankenstein. It's based on the Frankenstein novel and the Frankenstein myth and the story of Mary Shelley, and um, motheroffrankenstein.com. Sisters of Grey, Mothers of Frank, Mother of Frankenstein. There's <laughs> a weird trend here. Jayden, we'll have well, to get that. What are you can... talking about? You have amazing ideas. Yes, exactly. What I are mean, you talking about? That is a wonderful idea. Jayden, we'll have to do that at the Twin Cities Film Fest offices. I'll order us a copy, and then we'll do, do that. It. Yes, we'll do that. That'll be fun. And then we'll like, and then we'll let you know how it goes, Arvin. We're very excited okay. to do that. And we're looking yep. for things to do. So <laughs> we'll make sure you do that as well. If you have any questions for us, we encourage you to follow Be Our Geek Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us on BeOurGeekShow at gmail.com. Or if you want to be old school, you can leave us a message at 612-276-2774. Please like and subscribe to Be Our Geek wherever you find your podcast at helps us out a lot and we also encourage you to go to our website to find out what's going on with the Twin Cities Film Fest by going to TwinCitiesFilmFest.org Arvin, it has been an absolutely, absolutely amazing pleasure to talk to you today so we appreciate you being part of the show we know that you have, even though you don't think so a lot of stuff going on so thank you for taking time and spending it with us Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. And honestly, I don't really know what I'm doing in October because who can see that far ahead but I'm, if you can use a judge or a panelist or just some, an audience member at the film festival, give me a shout. Absolutely, Arvin. We're not playing. And plus, I'm best friends with the executive director. We'll make sure it happens. So it'll be fine. So. That's Arvin, Ethan, David. I'm Ms. Shannon. That's Jayden. You know who you are, and thank you very much for listening because we know that everyone is a geek about something.